Shine your word, send your light on your word, O Lord. By your spirit, let us see your wonder, for your justice outruns our sense of fairness. Your love overwhelms our deepest affections. Open our eyes, unstop our ears, and show us your most excellent way, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Today's reading is from Psalm 90, verses 1 through 12. It's a prayer from Moses. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the earth of the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn us back to dust and say, turn back, you mortals. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, or like a watch in the night. You sweep them away, they are like a dream, like the grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are consumed by your anger, by your wrath we are overwhelmed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, and the light of your countenance. For our, all our days pass away under your wrath. Our years come to an end like a sigh. The days of our life are 70 years, or perhaps 80 if we are strong. Even then their span is only toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger? Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. So teach us to count our days that we may gain a wise heart. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God.
Thank you, bells. Thank you, kids, for playing and singing for us a few minutes ago. Do you know, kids, that when you do that for us, for the rest of the church, you give us a great gift. And, and we're really appreciative both of your singing and your playing and your presence in this church. Jesus said that if anybody wants to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must become like a child. And I think as adults, we often forget that. We think that, that you all need to grow up and be like us, but Jesus said it's actually the exact opposite. We got to learn to become more like you. So thank you for being living reminders to those of us who are grown up of what it means to be a disciple. Our gospel reading for this morning comes to us from Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. Listen for what the Spirit is speaking today. Jesus said, For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. At once the one who had received the five talents went out and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents, made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See? I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with two talents also came forward saying, Master, you handed me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering what you did not scatter. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I do not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what is mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. <laughs> Let us pray. Merciful God, resisting the iron fist which reaps where it did not sow, Give us the courage to accept your faith in us and compassion to stand with all who are cast aside. 
through Jesus Christ who became nothing, that we might have everything. Amen. So let me tell you what I wish I'd known when I was young and dreamed of glory. You have no control who lives, who dies, who tells your story. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? You Hamilton fans out there know this is what George Washington sings to Alexander Hamilton on the eve of the Battle of Yorktown. And that line, uh, it holds the entire musical together, that you have no control who lives, who dies, and who tells your story. See, none of us know how long we have here on this earth. Most of us, I think, just kind of tacitly assume that we'll live as long as Anne Rorapaw did, whose life we celebrated yesterday, whose flowers or gifts here from the family. And like so many covenant people who have lived this long life, I, it's making me wonder, is there something in the water in Upper Arlington that just <laughs> promotes longevity? Is it the support you all receive from this community? I like that idea better. I just hope whatever it is, is rubbing off on me. But none of us know for sure. Each day is a gift. None of them are guaranteed, which is what Moses was singing about in Psalm 90. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. To you, a day is like a thousand years. But for us, we live 70, 80, maybe 90 years, and too soon they're gone. And his conclusion, Lord, teach us to number our days that we might become wise. See, wisdom comes to us when we realize that our time here is not infinite. And we must learn to count our days doesn't come naturally to us. It doesn't come automatically with age. We must be reminded time and again that our time here is limited and remembering that gives us wisdom and gives our life meaning. This week, many of us will sit around tables with loved ones and there will be empty chairs at those tables once held by people dear to us. In my family, it's my mother, who while still alive, hasn't sat around a Thanksgiving table with us since 2018. So Alzheimer's has impaired her such that she can no longer leave her long-term care facility. And so her absence is a reminder to us that our time here is not eternal. And our days are numbered. And only God knows what that number is. Can this stark truth awaken us to the precious gift that is each day of our lives? And though we grieve her absence, my mom's empty chair is a reminder of what's true for all of us. While the distractions and frustrations of daily life lull us into sleep, wisdom awakens us to the infinite value of each day that we are blessed to live. In the words of the poet Mary Oliver, what is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? That's Moses' question. And that's Jesus' question as well. We're nearly at the end of our yearly journey through the Gospel of Matthew. After next week, we're not going to return to Matthew for three years except on special occasions like Epiphany. 
And Matthew ends with a bang, not a whimper. And I've come to realize that Matthew is written in the same school of thought as Franz Kafka, who famously said, if the book we are reading does not wake us, as with a fist hammering on our skulls, then why do we read it? A book must be an ice axe to break the frozen sea inside of us. And in these closing parables in the Gospel of Matthew, he is trying to awaken us with a fist hammering on our skulls. And I don't know about you, but I don't like being wakened that way. <laughs> Much rather have you come and speak gently and, and, you know, open the blinds and say, Joel, it's time to get up. Jesus, over the last few weeks, has been hammering away at us, not to scare us or to harm us, but to awaken us. Jesus seems to think that we are in such a stupor that gentleness will not get the job done. And so his parables are the smelling salts employed to bring us back to life, that we might change and grow, that we might hold on to and include that which is essential while transcending to a new level of wisdom. And so to break the frozen sea within us, Jesus tells us a story about a man who goes on a journey and entrusts his slaves with talents. And as always, we come to these stories and I go, man, I really wish Jesus didn't tell stories with slaves in them. But he did. Slavery was a normal, though unfortunate, part of his culture. And we are shocked by that when we hear this story. Meanwhile, Jesus' hearers would have been shocked by the amounts of money that were given to each one. To one, the master gives five, to another three, and another one, each according to their abilities and talents. And of course, talents in this context isn't about like juggling or singing. A talent was the largest monetary unit in Jesus' time. And a single talent was worth somewhere, because it could vary in place, somewhere between six and 10,000 denarii. And a denarius was a normal day's wage. And so a single talent then is worth approximately an entire lifetime of wages. And so while not everyone in the story is blessed with the same amount, they all have an abundance of resources. So whoever this man is, we can see that he is exceedingly generous to a degree that is difficult for us to even comprehend. You might say, you know, no one on earth would ever be that generous. And you'd be right. And so right up front, we see that we are in a story that is beyond normal earthly interactions, which means we must be very careful about not taking things too literally and instead trying to see the larger point that Jesus is trying to make. And so if we imagine that the humans, that normal humans are represented by the slaves in this story, then it's clear that each one of them is blessed with a gift of a lifetime, an inheritance that any one of us would dream of receiving. And they all get one, even if it's not in the same amount. Each of them has enough and some to spare. Reminds me of a song. And I think that's at least the first point of Jesus' parable, that our lives, however long they might be, are generous gifts beyond comprehension. What will you do with your one wild and precious life? 
And so we know how the story goes. The first two blokes immediately get to work, double their money. Third digs a hole, puts it there. And after a long time, the master returns to settle accounts. And the first two are commended, well done, good and faithful servant. And third fella, not so much. He says, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering what you did not scatter. And so I was afraid. And I hid your talent in the ground. There's a lot packed in that statement. He thinks his master is harsh. And in fear, he hides what he was given. How many people live their lives under a cloud of fear that God is harsh, punishing? How many churches would go out of business tomorrow if they stopped preaching fear and a harsh God who threatens us with eternal punishment? Richard Rohr says, your image of God creates you. Think on that one. If you imagine God to be harsh, you will live in fear. There is no other way. If you imagine God to be perfect love and generous beyond our imagination, then you will live freely knowing that no matter how you use your talents, you do so under the care of a God whose giving knows no ending. Now, I'd like to be able to rewrite this parable and have Jesus tell the last guy who said, you know, I know that you're harsh, Master. I wish that he responded to that poor fellow saying, is that who you think I am? Behold, I am unending mercy. But unfortunately, Jesus has the Master give the guy a tongue lashing, takes away his talent, and throws him into the outer darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Is this Jesus trying to break the frozen sea within us? And though the master objects to being characterized as harsh, his actions undermine his own case. And as always, we are tempted to see the master as a stand-in for God or for Christ. After all, it's Jesus who's leaving and is not going to return for a long time. Are we to conclude that he will return to earth and reward the faithful while punishing the fearful? I don't think so. But this is a parable of judgment. And I do believe that our lives will be judged in this life and the next. What we do with our one wild life is not a matter of indifference. How we spend our lives matters. The generous gift of our life is not to be wasted on fear. If God really is generous love, then why not take risks and live in the freedom of the children of God? After all, God and Christ risked everything that we might know that we are loved. I don't know how to tie all the ends together in the story, but I do think our prayer of the day sums it up perfectly. Give us courage to accept your faith in us and compassion to stand with all who are cast aside through Jesus Christ who became nothing that we might have everything. And that's the invitation 
to live in courage and in compassion because God has faith in you. I like that. But what happens when we don't? Well, God's final judgment has already been rendered, hasn't it? Jesus becomes one with all who've been cast aside. He enters the outer darkness of death, and he does so that we might be forgiven and free. He becomes nothing, that we might have everything. And so regardless of how Matthew ends this parable, Jesus ends his life not speaking words of judgment and condemnation, but words of forgiveness and blessing for all. Because the truth is, while we are called to courage, we are also quite fearful. And God knows this about us. Though God invites us to take risks and trust that we are loved, too often we bury our talents. And instead of counting our days, we waste them. And it is to people like us that Jesus speaks his final words in the Gospel of Matthew. Do anyone know it? Anybody know what they are? Jesus' very last words in the Gospel of Matthew? Surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. This is the good news. Christ will never abandon you or forsake you. And though your time here is limited, God's love for you is infinite. So live, therefore, in the freedom that each of your remaining days is blessed and loved. Live each one of these remaining days in your one wild life. Amen.